0: Good morning. It is good to be with you. It has been a, a little bit of a while since I've been here with you, but it's always such a sweet privilege to come and, and dive into God's Word together. We're going to be looking at Matthew 4, 1 to 11. So if you have your Bibles, you can join me. Why don't you join in standing as we hear from God's Word this morning? Matthew 4, 1 to 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Again, the devil took him to the very high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him and suddenly angels came and waited on him. We give thanks for God's word. You might be seated. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for this gathered people. Thank you for those who are joining online. We pray, oh God, over this time that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts might bring glory to you. And that we would receive what you want to speak into our lives and into our spirits this day with a wholehearted yes and amen in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. One of the things that when you dive into scriptures that is helpful but sometimes can also hinder is that we have these chapters marked off and these chapter headings. And what happens with that is sometimes we really lose the flow of what is happening and what the context is. And I think that's particularly true of this narrative. Because if we can hear it in the context, all of a sudden it begins to feel a little more of a whole picture of what's happening in Jesus' life in this particular moment and time. For much of my life, I've been sitting in scriptures, and yet when I really sit and dive deep, as the opportunities to preach make you do, there are ways in which I begin to see how God might be working beyond what I had previously noted. Now, in this particular passage, we have the third chapter, which obviously comes before the fourth, but as it ends that particular chapter is when we hear Jesus really speak in Matthew for the first time. And if you remember, what is happening there in the third chapter is you have really the ministry of John the Baptist being expressed, and then Jesus comes to the wilderness where John the Baptist is preaching, right, on the fringe of the community, and asks to be baptized. And there's this back and forth between Jesus and John the Baptist about whether he's worthy to baptize him, what's going on here, all, and Jesus is insisting. This is his first language, is insisting that this needs to be done, that all that, is, that I'm being called to would uh, begin. And so the baptism happens, and Matthew records, suddenly the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him, and a voice from heaven said, this is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. These are the words being spoken over Jesus, and as Pastor Joe explored last week about the meaning of the incarnation. We begin to see this being uh, fully and more developed within Jesus' life himself, this calling as the person who is fully God and fully human, living out the call of redemption. This is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. And you would think right? That this would be a moment in which the angels would sing again like they did at the Christmas story. You would think there would be this great pause, this, this kind of ex- uh, 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 celebration that breaks out among all those who were with John the Baptist down by the water. And yet what we see is instantly, like Jesus's hair still dripping wet, right? Instantly move deeper into the wilderness. Instantly brought from this place of proclamation into this place of testing. Forty days and forty nights. Now that number should ring some bells. If you've spent some time in scripture, you have seen the number 40 come up a whole bunch of times. Let me just name a few of those. Moses spent 40 years tending to the flocks after he had been left Egypt. Moses was on Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights. Moses interceded on Israel's behalf for 40 days and 40 nights. The Israelites, the spies, took 40 days when they went to Canaan. The Israelites wandered for 40 years. And in the New Testament, we have this wilderness experience of 40 days and 40 nights. And there was 40 days between Jesus' resurrection and and the Ascension. This number has some meaning within the biblical context, a, a number that's, that kind of holds within it a time of probation, a time of trial, a time of forming. It carries within it the connotation that it's a long period of time, but it also has an end. And maybe that's good news for those times when you feel like you're in a wilderness, right? It has, it has an end. There's a place in which this is God is bringing us. Wilderness language throughout Scripture is a a preparation place, a place of waiting for God's movement, a place of learning to trust in God's voice, in God's mercy, in God's provision. A formation of identity for a particular calling for an individual and a people. The 40 days of Jesus' wilderness are spent in prayer and fasting. I don't know, because the title says The Temptation of Jesus, sometimes I think I imagine this 40 days being all about this journey of temptation, but instead, it is 40 days of prayer and fasting. And then the temptation comes. There's 40 days in which Jesus is being still and waiting and pondering. And what else would he be pondering but these words that were spoken to him from the heavens, right? Right? This is my beloved. This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Like that language being received over and over in these 40 days. And and I think there's something within that for us to to kind of begin to see this this development in Jesus' life, this, this preparation that we know will be the gateway into public ministry that before going into public ministry, there's an identity that has been settled deep within Jesus's being. Who am I? And whose am I? And so at the end of the 40 days, then we have this temptation come and the adversary is described with different words within this passage, devil, tempter, Satan, and that brings up all sorts of weird images for us that aren't biblical. There are all sorts of things that form us in our understanding, but rather than reacting to those images, I think it's important to hear the words and the meaning that those carry. Devil carries the meaning of slanderer or divider. Tempter is the one who seduces or causes to fail, and Satan is the one who accuses. So understanding more of the tenor and tone of the voice of temptation can be helpful for us. Because sometimes within our own journey, we think that temptation's gonna come with maybe a bit of a, a, a better sign that this is a temptation, but it's much smarter and much more of a temptation than something we would just automatically slam our door to. So when we hear a voice, external or internal, that slanders, that divides, that seduces, that accuses, then we might be able to discern the voice, the source of that voice, and join Jesus in saying, away with you, Satan, at those times. That we we might recognize where that voice wants to lead us, and I think the temptations that we have within this story. uh, Tell us about something that often comes within our lives as well. And so while this is a pivotal moment of Jesus' identity, that it's not like the temptations are done as, they move, as Jesus moves over. It's not like he never gets challenged again how to live out this life of which he's called. In the Luke version of the 40-day temptation time, uh, he expresses this at the end. The devil departed from Jesus until an opportune time has a little more of a, 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 a foreboding to it than the Matthew one does. But that tells us something about the circling effect and the desire of the evil one to undermine the mission of God in the people of God. Within this temptation that we begin to explore, we hear something happening in the proclamation, right, that this is my beloved son to, what is the language that happens as we go into Matthew 4? If, if you are the son of God, if, then. Pastor David Loes calls it the pernicious if. The pernicious if that comes to try to undermine the established relationship that has been named and affirmed from the heavens. If. And perhaps you have at some point had an if you are really a son of God, a child of God, a beloved of God, then you wouldn't be in this place. You wouldn't be in the wilderness for sure, right? If you have been walking with God, truly if you were a beloved of God, then this wouldn't be happening in your life. All that language comes back and moves around the lives of the people of God that Jesus speaks back against. This insecurity is what we see happening with the Israelites in their 40 year journey, right? Is that they begin to not trust in this God's provision. They begin to not believe that they are God's people. And so they begin to talk about, let's go back to that place where we were slaves. It was better back there, right? Or give us a God we can see and touch. Give us the God who seems to be working out better for other people. They seem to have more than we do. Give us something else. Because if seems true, we are not who we thought we were. But God's call is for us to hear the deeper ways in which we are beloved, which we are loved, which we are provided for. So there's power in recognizing that pernicious if. And Jesus is able to discern the difference between the voice that proclaimed him beloved and the voice that comes with the if questions. I think that's a particularly powerful thing, again, to recognize the tone of God's voice over us. I think it was Dallas Willard who talked about that we, as we spend time in scriptures and we spend time in God, we begin to know the tone and tenor of God's voice that gives us the power of discernment when other voices try to speak into us. Like, we know, that doesn't, that is not the way God would speak. That is not the way God directs and and it helps us in that confusion to know that we have an opportunity as Jesus did in recognizing the tone of the one who loves us and how he speaks to his beloved. It doesn't mean there's not correction in our life, but it doesn't come with slander and accusation. It doesn't come with this unsettled division. And challenge. If is an important question to answer, and Jesus begins to do that. So when we look at the first temptation, we recognize that the humanity of Jesus is real. He's famished, is the language in there. He is, after 40 days, deeply hungry, and when we and our bodies are weakened in that way, we're vulnerable. And what's the temptation? It's this turn, you're, you're starving, won't you just turn that stone into bread? Why don't you, one, just take care of yourself? And it has a little bit of a magic trick in it, doesn't it? Like, just, if you're the Son of God, then then prove yourself. Make make that stone into bread. And there's a, a bit of Jesus recognizing who the voice is, and recognizing that this if that you're going to prove, he's, he, that Jesus isn't going to play this game. Jesus isn't going to play this game with the one who wants to tempt. He's going to hold his hand out and refuse to enter into this, this, this challenge to prove himself. That there's a place in this deep knowing that I don't need to prove myself. Now, can he provide bread? He provided bread for 5,000 later in the story, right? Out of just a few loaves. But in this particular moment, this isn't about responding in compassion. It is in, in housed completely improving himself. Improving in many ways that he's self-reliant. Improving that he doesn't have to wait upon God. Improving that he needs to prove. And, and he just completely... Renounces that. He himself is one who says in chapter 7 Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for bread, will give a stone? That's an interesting shift, right? That's happening here and how, ma- how Jesus lives this out. There's also this temptation that we've seen before of like selling your soul for bread, selling your promise, blessing for some stew, right? That there's, there's something within there that's for all of us at times when the, the immediate need seems so pressing that we're almost ready to give up all that God wants to do just to have that immediate need answered. And there's, there's this call within this response to the temptation to be a people of patience, be a people who wait upon God, be a people who are still and trust that God is with you and for you and for God's purposes in your life. The second temptation, we hear again the if, right? If you're the son of God, then I'm going to take you to the pinnacle of the temple. I'm going to ask you to jump off of it. I'm going to, and and then your, your, your foot won't even get crushed. It's just, there's a promise within scripture. There's a whole bunch happening in here. One is this temptation that uh, Henry Nowen calls a a temptation to be spectacular, right? To kind of have this ta-da moment, like I jump and then I'm Superman. (laughs) You know, I don't know what what exactly that looks like, but everybody will recognize that I am something else. the, The temptation to be spectacular. And And I think the other thing that I see in here is is how the misuse of a promise in Scripture is held before somebody and say, if this is true, then then let's see this promise come through. And I think the beautiful thing that, again, that we have in Jesus' discernment of God's voice is the deep way in which Jesus knows the Scriptures and the context and speaks back against that. Again, in the, in, the, in the Luke version, we have the story of when he was 12 years old and at the temple and gets lost in his study of scripture that shows us that early in his life, he had steeped himself in the scriptures and knew them and breathed them, and they helped him discern this voice the situation that calls him to again hold out his hand to the one who would accuse, the one who would divide, the one who would slander, the one who would try to create mistrust in God's ways and says, no, I'm not playing this game that you want to play. Within this temptation is also this um, attempt to try and control the way God is going to work, like th- God hasn't called you to jump off this pinnacle, but you're going to do that, and that's going to make God do this. Like there's some, there's like a a shift in being the one who actually directs God's actions instead of being the one in whom God acts. Can you see that? I've I've had those temptations. Places in which I want to pray in a particular way, to make God act in a particular way. And God wants to say, let me work in you and through you. And let you be obedient to me. There's a, I was reading, I read a lot over this last summer, but one of the books I was reading was talking about this life of discipleship is to proclaim that Christ is Lord, And allow that proclamation to go deeper into our lives every day in which we live. And and what that means is that I shift my language. That first and foremost, I am seeking after God and God's ways and God's will in this time and this place. And not, even in my way of my praying, trying to control the way God would work and act. There's something in there for us to see and receive. So we can be tempted to have this transactional kind of agreement with God that if I do these certain things, then you do these certain things. If I come to church, if I give offerings, if I show up, if I, then you will bless me, you will keep me safe, you will do this in my life, there will be success and rich and power and. In all sorts of ways, there's this transaction. We all can get tempted into a little bit of that, and we are continually invited into this transforming relationship. We're continually invited into this life in which we receive Christ and allow him to be known in our lives, truly known, the Jesus of the scriptures, not the Jesus we've created. The Jesus of the scriptures, that if we study and watch calls us to a different way of living, calls us into a way that isn't competitive against others, isn't about the spectacular, isn't about the magic of turning stone into bread, but is about love and grace and seeing others, prayerfully showing up in the lives of others, living obediently even when it doesn't seem to all make sense something transformative in that, that we're being called into. To this testing, Jesus says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Something for us to hear. The third test, the tempter goes for like, I I feel like almost this honest moment right? Okay, I tried to play with it a little bit with this bread and the stone thing. I tried to do a little bit with this tempting to jump off the temple, but let's just be real. Here's all the power and all the the riches that are in the world. I'm showing it all to you, and it can all be yours if you would just bow to me. Like, he just cuts to the chase at this point, right? No more playing games, and now we see the fullness of what's at stake, we see the fullness of what he's wanting to tempt Jesus into, which is I can give you all of this rich, good stuff out here, this power, this ability to just run life with ease right now if you will just bow before me. And I, I think about not only what that would mean for Jesus as he looks at this temptation that's being set before him, but what that means for us too. Here's the easy way. Here's claiming the power of this world. Here's the, the marching around and being in charge of everything. Here's being the person of power and what it looks like. And the invitation that Jesus is hearing from God, which is walk with me. Walk with me to these unknowns. Walk with me through the valley. Walk with me to the cross. This is a real temptation. Early Moravians and others called it the temptation of self-preservation. And they weren't talking about healthy boundary setting and response to someone or some system that treats you wrong. This is saying yes to God when it's a downward movement in your life, rather than an upward movement in your life. This is saying yes to God, even when it costs. This is saying a yes to God in God's ways, even if that means others who claim to be God's voice would tell you otherwise. It is saying yes to God with a trust for the eternal and the wonder what God wants to do in the large arc of redemption that God is bringing to us, the people of God. It is an evaluation of each decision or practice to see if it's an expression of God's love and God's ways. We so often want to know, and I love this, particularly as it's found in Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And that's where I want the period to end, right there. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. But what does it say? And the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That's where the period ends. And that's what Jesus is saying yes to, and that's what we're being invited to say yes to is to know the fullness of that life that we might then be a people who shine in our world because of our willingness to sacrifice, our willingness not to be powerful in this world, our willingness to be the weak, our willingness to be ones who love when we're hated, a willingness to be a people who are an alien people in this world, but who are seen as a vision of light and love in all times and in all places. Jesus, out of the deep breathing of his identity as the beloved Son of God, says to this ultimate temptation, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Only. Don't serve these other things. Don't serve these kingdoms and powers that call upon you. Don't serve these uh, opportunities to be fantastic. Serve the one who calls you beloved. And during Jesus' journey from the baptism to cross, he had to continually lean on that identity proclaimed over him in the deepest of ways. To trust in God's mission of love and salvation and redemption and hope that was happening in Him and through Him for us. And then it says, the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. And I think that for me stands for this beauty of this care for Jesus, but also this call for us as we walk the way of Christ to know we don't do it alone that we're invited to receive the care of others. We're invited to receive the care of the Holy Spirit. We're invited to receive sustenance through unusual means and by God's ways. And so one of the tasks for us as we have our journey ourselves is to ask some of the questions around these temptations. Am I tempted to prove my worth and value by what I can do? Am I tempted to show some sort of magic quick trick of who Jesus is? Do I desire a God I lead versus a God who leads me? Am I distracted by my desire for comfort and security and riches and wealth and power? And I want to be on the winning side versus the side of Christ, which is marked by a cross. Am I tempted to make self-preservation my major driver? Am I tempted to listen more to the voice that seduces and divides and deceives and the voice that calls me and others beloved, cherished, seen, and known? And so we end where we begin. This voice from heaven says, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well-pleased. And Jesus receives that and lives it out to the very depths of his being. And I want you to hear from the transfiguration story how that voice then echoes again. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him in the deepest places of our hearts and our lives this day. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we give thanks so much for your word that speaks into the deep places of our being. Whether there's some who this morning feel like they are in a wilderness place, we ask that you would help them in those places to hear your love, your grace, your knowledge, and may they be formed and reformed in their identity in one who is beloved by you. And for those who are uh, recognizing perhaps there are ways in which the tempter's voice has been speaking strong into their life. And we pray with them that they would be able to stand in the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus and say, Away with you, Satan. I will live the way of the cross, that I might know the power of the resurrection and the sharing of the sufferings of Christ that we would be a journey that knows the full arc of God's redemption as a people who live true into the identity of being beloved by you. We ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Amen.